It's time for episode 148 of the Clockwise Podcast from Relay FM, recorded Wednesday, August the 3rd, 2016. Clockwise, four people, four technology topics, 30 minutes. Welcome back to Clockwise, an august podcast for an august time. I'm Jason Snell, your co-host, and across the internet for me, my co-host, Dan Morin. Hey, I punned there, Dan. How about that? I've heard it both ways, Jason. (sighs) Fair enough. Fair enough. So this is Clockwise. We have four technology topics. We do it in 30 minutes, and we always have two wonderful guests. To my left, it's the co-founder of 12 South. You may know them from their amazing Mac and iOS device accessories. It's Andrew Green, a first-time participant, long-time listener, first-time player. Hi, Andrew. Hi, Jason. It's great to be here. To my left, a returning guest, the tech editor at Refinery29, Christina Bonington. Hi, Christina. Hello. Thanks for having me back again. I'm so glad you could make it. So let me get started with our first topic. Uh, This week, Instagram introduced Instagram stories, which give you sort of ephemeral uh, sharing of lots of uh, moments uh, with your friends. They're there for a while, then they go away. In other words, it's very much like Snapchat's stories feature. And in fact, when questioned about this, Instagram CEO said, look, this isn't about who invented something. So (laughs) always a solid line of defense. I'm curious. I mean, this is a more complex topic than it maybe appears to be. in technology in particular, um, is copying a, a, a good idea good or is it bad to copy ideas that you see that work if you're a, if you're a technology company? It's all about mixing, right? Um, I, I think technology and, and creating art, hopefully within there, is about building on um, uh, existing ideas um, and, and making something better with that. Uh, I think that as long as something is inspired by previous work and takes it somewhere better, then it's kind of okay. And I think people recognize when something is inspired versus an exploitive knockoff. Um, so for me, as long as the work or feature mixes and takes the idea further, I'm okay with it. In fact, I think it's vital that we take existing items as a baseline and push them forward. So regarding the Instagram Snapchat stories uh, controversy, I think they would have had a little bit better time if they just chose a different name at least. (laughs) So, but that's kind of how I feel about it. Uh, everything's a remix, Jason. That's what I say. Right. Um, no, I, I think Andrew's on the, on the right track there. I, I think that there is a long tradition in technology, for better or for worse, of this sort of free flow of ideas. And I think some of that is a cultural thing dating back to sort of the earliest days of technology. And, uh, and then I think it gets contentious, right? I mean, you know, there's long arguments, you know, Microsoft and Apple supporters will have long arguments about the history of Windows versus the Mac OS. And then you get Xerox Park thrown in there and it's like there's a lot of a lot of different disputes but nobody could argue that the world is in a better place by the fact that we've all adapted the graphical user interface and had it you know only become this sort of weird cul-de-sac of development we would probably be pretty sad um so i i think there needs to be a flow of ideas in order for technology to progress to move forward uh and because you know a lot of these cases if somebody has a good idea and you know a competitor is like well that's that's you know that made their product that much better uh, um, you know, maybe we should try that out too. I think, uh, I think that that's there. There is some positive to that. Obviously, you don't want to get to the point of just lifting things wholesale, but uh, at the same time, you you do want to be able to learn from your competitors and your uh, your partners in various arenas. And in the, in the case of this one, I had never used Snapchat. I did look at the Instagram stories very briefly. 
Uh, it seems I agree that using the same exact name seems a little uh, a right. little weak tea. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I uh, I think I think that there is there there's arguments both ways on this one. Yeah, I agree with uh, with Andrew's distinction there that there's like straight up copying, and then there's taking an idea and building on it and making it your own. And I think that when you do the latter, that's that you know moves technology forward that you you know moves interfaces and whatnot forward but when you're just straight up copying it there's not really that much to gain for or at least you know from the user's end i think um and i think in the case of snapchat that is what they did they just like straight up kind of took this feature that snapchat has and rolled it into their own app and i don't know if you guys have used it that much yet but it really does when you go into it, it feels like you're not even in Snapchat anymore. It doesn't really feel like they made, they even made that feature their own, which I think is kind of, that was kind of the biggest like let down for me is like, they could have, they could have done something more. They could have made it feel more Instagrammy, but they didn't. Yeah. I think you guys uh, did a great job of, of covering this. I mean, nobody's going to argue that only Apple should have had a graphical user interface on computers forever. Nobody's going to argue that the world should have uh, only had the iPhone have a modern smartphone, that it's the right thing to do, the better thing to do for everybody is that there are uh, smartphones uh, that are like the iPhone that are from other, other makers. I think it, it is that uh, when you, when you sort of shamelessly copy and don't add your own spin on it. Some of the, some of the Insta, uh, or some of the Instagram, I almost called it. Look, oh no, I'm completing two stories. The Samsung uh, phones, especially in the early days of the iPhone, that were just uh, looked identical to the iPhone instead of it being sort of like the Samsung spin on the modern smartphone. It's like, just add a little uh, of your own, synthesize it. And I think that's okay because in the end, uh, we've seen this in the back and forth between Android and iOS uh, features for the last few years. It's like, you know, if Apple has a really good idea and people love it, Google should probably do something about that and not just pretend that it doesn't, it wasn't invented and it doesn't exist. And the same works for good ideas from Google that Apple realizes that their customers might want. So at some point you do, you know, you, you, you want to give your customers something good. Uh, but yeah, put your own spin on it. I think that's all we're really asking. Okay. That's one topic down. Uh, Andrew, it's your turn. What topic did you bring for us? In the news this week, um, it was reported that Apple has tapped Bob Mansfield to head up um, this uh, secret Project Titan uh, um, uh, thing going on in Cupertino. So I, I think putting all the cards together, the hirings and, and everything, Apple is clearly developing a car. So uh, my question um, uh, for you guys here is that would you buy a car from Apple um, and if so, what combination of features and benefits and price would they ever be able to deliver to compete with these mature options coming out from Tesla, like the Model 3, the, the Chevy Volt even and stuff like that? So, you know, if the car comes out in another three to five years, what in the world could Apple do to be competitive in an electric car uh, category at this point. Yeah, I don't know. Some of the rumors also suggested that maybe they're not making a car, but mainly maybe just making like an integrated system that would work with cars. It's a very, there's a lot of stuff that's fluid there. Uh, if I were to be interested in buying an Apple car, I think obviously, you know, a lot of the stuff that we are seeing from people like Tesla and Chevy would be uh, a big part of like what you need to just get in the door, right? The table stakes, right? You know, an electric car mm-hmm. that's very modern, um, that's very environmentally friendly, which, which is, you know, obviously 
a lot of these things are, are hallmarks of Apple products in general. Uh, I think the biggest room for improvement and the thing that Apple can really bring to the table here is its experience with user user experience and user interface design. Uh, I have a, a Volkswagen GTI that I bought about four years ago now, and I like it as a car, but the built-in electronics slash entertainment system is just rubbish. It's just garbage. Um, and so, you know, bringing an experience like that that not only leverages stuff like CarPlay that Apple's been doing, but also just brings that experience to more of the usability of a of the car as a whole, making it friendlier, safer, um, just easier to use, I think it potentially has a, a lot of room for improvement even on these mature car models. Because I think a lot of these country companies, uh, with the exception of maybe Tesla, who I think, you know, since they're sort of building everything ground up, I think, and they have some technology expertise, they seem like they've done a pretty solid job with it. But if you look at traditional car makers like Chevy with the Volt or Nissan with the Leaf, you know, they have to struggle a lot of times with their electronic integration because a lot of times they're not making it it's an oem thing from somebody else somewhere so making a more holistic experience with the car tying it all together and turning it into sort of one widget rather than a slapdash array of all these different things is, is the kind of thing apple's best at and so that's that's i think where their competitive advantage could lie for me, I have a 12 year old car and I feel like with, you know, electric cars and, you know, CarPlay and where we are right now, um, that's really interesting. But if I can hold out, yeah, for like three to five more years, I'm going to get like such an awesome new car. Um, and so I think that, you know, where Apple can come into play there is, um, really, you know, like, you know, just our phones are such a big part of our life now and really integrating you know, the information that we get and use from our phone on a daily basis into the car system in a UI that, you know, makes sense, that's very safe, that presents only the most relevant information to you as you need it and hides information that you don't need to see and don't need to be aware of until you're done with your car ride. Um, and I think, I feel like there's cool things that could be done with, you know, augmented reality, um, with like the windshield and stuff that, you know, this is just me like imagining what could be awesome. Um, but yeah, like, you know, a better augmented reality windshield that shows you, you know, directions and points out landmarks, but, you know, isn't going to show you, you know, your latest Pokemon Go notification on the screen and things like that. <laughs> and just being really intelligent about, you know, what information you're shown and when. And I think Apple could do a really good job of doing that. Being realistic here, the low-cost, affordable Tesla model that is coming in a, in a couple of years, the Model 3, will retail. Its base price will be more than uh, the most expensive car I have ever bought. <laughs> and so, realistically, I have a hard time imagining that I will what the price tag of an Apple-branded car will ever be one that I'm willing to pay or could afford to pay. So, I think realistically, I I, I doubt it unless Apple's technology uh, really you know pushes down into the market over time or goes into other cars. I just looked it up the um, the market cap of Ford and GM is uh, well under the amount of cash that Apple has. And I'm not saying Apple would actually just buy a car maker, but it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, what Dan was uh, referring to about how there are um, there are rumors that Apple is not committed 100% to making the car itself. It wouldn't surprise me, honestly, if Apple felt so bullish on this market that they decided to invest in a car maker and forge a partnership with them where essentially, you know, Apple 
and owned a big chunk of Ford or GM or something like that and was, uh, and that gave them the ability to use, um, you know, their design skills with the, the car makers, car making knowledge to make a range of products that integrate Apple technology. Um, sometimes I think that that is the only one of these kind of future concepts that I can really believe would happen because I can't see Apple just being an OEM manufacturer of car internals, but I'm also having a hard time imagining Apple building the entire car. You know, given what Apple would make, you know, insert watch, tablet, phone, I don't think they want to use anyone's stuff. And and typically when they go out, they really want to do everything from scratch themselves to innovate at every level. I think um, Tesla coming from nowhere two decades ago and, and inventing a world-class car, I think has inspired them. Um, and when you bring an electric car model into the to fray, it actually becomes a lot simpler when you're not dealing with, you know, the, the combustion engines and such. And at that point, it starts becoming design interface and, and power management of batteries, which at, at, is Apple's experts at, of course. So um, the Model 3, I think, from Tesla makes it interesting because uh, if they do well and are, are able to build enough, they become like the, uh, the leader in the space. And I think where Apple could possibly have a chance is if they come out and be that niche commuter car not unlike, you know, their position as a niche computer maker previously um, and and do something really special for special people um, and kind of go from there with very, very low expectations to begin with so that they can, you know, do a special product. I also think that at that point, um, autonomy and autonomous driving is going to be really the killer app um, and uh, and who competes best with that. Um, there, there will win. So it's pretty exciting to think in the next decade that, that the two leading car makers might be Tesla and Apple. It's a weird world. <laughs> it is a strange world. Hard to picture yeah. it sometimes. All right. That's two, two great topics down. We have two more topics left to go. Uh, it's halftime. Let me tell you about our halftime sponsor. This episode of Clockwise brought to you by Casper, a company focused on sleep, and they've created a perfect mattress. It sells directly to consumers, so you don't have any of those commission-driven salespeople with inflated prices. They're revolutionizing the mattress industry by cutting the cost of dealing with resellers and showrooms and passing the savings directly on to you. It was developed in-house. It's got a sleek design, delivered in an impossibly small box, and uh, they also have a pillow and sheets. I have all of those things on my bed, which is a Casper mattress right now they're all really good uh the casper mattress has springy latex and supportive memory foam so it creates a mattress that's got just the right sink and just the right bounce and its breathable design helps you regulate your temperature throughout the night mattresses often cost over fifteen hundred dollars but casper mattresses are reasonably priced starting at 500 for a twin 600 for a twin extra long that's the dorm room bed you may remember it uh, up to 950 for a king and they're all made in the usa buying a casper mattress is completely risk-free if you're worried about buying a mattress on the internet delivery is free and returns are free to the u.s and canada you can keep the, the mattress for up to 100 nights and try it out so you can sleep on it for months literally and if you don't love it they will take it away and give you your money back casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you can commit you can't do that in a showroom they don't want you to fall asleep in a mattress showroom but you can do it with a casper mattress and you can get 50 dollars toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash clockwise and using the code clockwise terms and conditions apply thank you to casper for your support of clockwise okay halftime is over dan kick us off for the second half so walt mossberg uh the 
venerable tech columnist who writes at The Verge these days, uh, thinks TVs these days are too darn complicated. Uh, and maybe that sounds like the grouchy rumblings of an old man, but you know what? I agree with them. Having recently had to run my parents through, once again, the <laughs> features of their smart TV, uh, I've found that these systems are often way more complicated than, you know, than in those days where you could just turn the TV on and start surfing through channels. Maybe le- less functional then, but, you know, certainly easier to use. I'm curious to know what you guys think about it. What's your TV experience like? And uh, yeah, how would you make things simpler or better? Christina, what do you think? So uh, I own a dumb TV and an Apple TV. and um, But my parents have a smart TV and my boyfriend's parents have a smart TV. And using those interfaces on the smart TV, I the experience just is not great. I feel like there's menu after menu that you have to navigate through. Um the, the user experience just really is not good at all. I think it's much better when you have a dumb TV and a set-top box. Um, the Apple TV, the update that came out, what was it, last year, uh, is great. And uh, I think other set-top boxes like Roku also have you know an equally excellent experience. And um, I think that voice control is helping in the, in the, um, the navigation department with, you know, Instead of having to navigate a whole bunch of menus, you can just use your voice and say, hey, I want to watch, um, you know, episode 13 of Friends or whatever. And um, that makes it a whole lot easier to get to. Um, but I feel like some of the smart TVs aren't as good as that as some of the set-top boxes are still right now. You know, our uh, our uh, uh, our friend uh, James Thompson, who's been on the show many times, and in fact, uh, on a recent episode, talked about the terrible uh, experience he had with his Samsung <laughs> Smart TV. By the way, update on that. killed it. <laughs> it, it. It totally died, and he sent it back, and they got his money back, and he's not going to buy a Samsung Smart TV. But, you know, what James was lamenting is that he just really wanted a TV. He didn't want any of the software to get in the way, and I, I think that's the problem. I know that there are a lot of regular people. The idea, we have this idea of regular people don't care. They just want to use their TV remote. But... It, too often these smart TVs are uh, more like cars where they've got a kind of lousy onboard setup and you end up uh, wanting to plug in an external device anyway because the the entertainment system in the car is behind the times and it's no good and a lot of times that's true of the smart TVs too. If, if only Apple would make a television uh, What? Uh, so so I, I don't know. I mean I, I generally ignore those settings. I have a 4K TV now and I actually use the onboard smart TV apps for Netflix and Amazon because that's the only way that I can watch 4k stuff but uh it's not a great experience i much prefer to use my apple tv or my tivo um i i I hope we get to the point where the smart tv market is either uh they go back to being dumb tvs or there's like a big switch somewhere that's just like make this a dumb tv please but i fear that that's not going to happen and we're going to be dealing with weird onboard software and settings forever with tvs and i i i think it's the wrong approach you keep a tv a lot longer than uh than technology changes is too fast so better to have an outside box like an apple tv or a roku or a or a fire tv or you know any of these options and use that as the outboard brain of your tv because that's a lot easier to switch out than buying a new tv i I mean i think at this point um apple tv is just saying uh give me the screen and we'll take care of the rest right um the the screens and the quality of the screen you choose to invest in is is really the commodity uh, you know, from, from the big boxes or even the, um, the, the subscription big box stores, it's, uh, the commodity part of the product. Um, and, you know, not to sound like an Apple TV fanboy, but they're, they they really look like the future of TV, um, apps, um, controlling what you want, uh, apps as channels, um, and, and everything in between 
clearly, clearly seems to be the future. And I think you can chuck most of the software that comes on board on the screen and just plug in your favorite box, Apple TV or Roku, Christina, as you said, um, and just go from there. I think what's really interesting is what you do when you're done watching Game of Thrones. Um, what these boxes are going to be able to do with this huge, beautiful panel in your living room with the passive applications and, and, and creating a, a huge information center in your living room, uh, with the apps that, that everyone can develop now, um, with the Apple TV platform. So yeah, I think just give us the panel. We'll take care of the rest with our favorite box is, is the future of the TV and, and, and uh, and just, um, that's the future. Yeah, I agree with most of you. I think the part of the problem here is the proliferation and the redundancy because, you know, my parents have, they got a smart TV. I hooked up an Apple TV for them. It's an older one, but, you know, it still does most of the stuff. Uh, and, you know, I even threw in a Fire TV stick at one point before I moved the Apple TV over there. And so you combine more than one or two of these services and you get these huge redundancies. Like my dad was confused because like, well, what, what, do I watch Netflix on the T smart TV or on the Apple TV? Uh, what if I want to watch Amazon? Well, there is no Amazon app for the Apple TV currently, so that's more of a pain. Even just switching the inputs to get to the smart TV box is mm-hmm. a, a barrier for some people. You know, that's a that's a harder thing to conceptualize, especially because, as Christina said, these menu interfaces are not super friendly. Um, and then you add into something like that, I think Christina's point again about voice control is great, except for the fact that we're you know, if we don't already have sort of warring voice con- voice control where you have three different remotes with th- three different voice control, <laughs> you know, s- solutions, as it were, it's pretty frustrating to try and figure out, wait, which which of these remotes do I need? Which voice control am I working for? Is the syntax the same on this one? Um, so I, I really do wish the TV, you know, mar- market would sort of insinuate itself less in this process. But you're, you're t- Andrew's totally right about the commodity part of it. Like they're trying to add their own value and, and figure out a way around it and that's just made everything more complex with more moving parts so i kind of wish they would get out of the way but i'm really pessimistic about that actually happening uh thanks for your thoughts on that we got one more topic coming from christina yeah so earlier this week uh apple announced that it would be adding 100 new emoji to ios 10 which isn't really a big surprise but uh among that mix um Apple is swapping out its pistol emoji with a water gun. And that created a little bit of a hubbub on the social medias this week. And I was wondering, (laughs) what is you guys take on this? Do you think that, you know, this is, you know, this is, do you think this is a political statement? Do you think this is an effective one? Um, or do you think it's just kind of silly? Ironically, Microsoft did an update that changed their um, ray gun to an actual gun about the same time that Apple did this. So it's like, what is happening? And that shows you emoji fragmentation. It's a real thing. Every platform vendor gets to decide themselves. There is no standard. (laughs) Decide for themselves what they want to do as illustrations for the emoji descriptions. Um, And it can lead to situations like this. Um, Also, I'll point out, this is in the iOS 10 beta, I think. So uh, Apple has reversed itself on features in betas before, and it might again. Um, The water pistol is adorable. Um, at the same time, I know that people often will use the gun emoji in context where the water gun maybe doesn't get it across. And I think the biggest problem is that if all the other platforms show it as a revolver and you've got a water pistol, you're going, it's going to lead to um, misunderstandings between people. And I think that's my biggest problem with it. I do think it's a little bit uh, silly to get worked up on it either way. And I think it's an adorable change and I think it's a nicer icon, but I kind of don't care either way. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think Apple has been known to make these small little political statements from time to time in situations like this. And, and I'm kind of okay with it. I'm kind of okay to know that there's people, um, behind this that, that have opinions and, and that like with their stuff, they're, they're influencing it. You know, their support of gay pride parades in San Francisco and, and little statements and things that they do shows that there's, there's people with personalities and opinions. Um, and, you know, they're not afraid to make these small statements. Um, and, and so I don't have a problem with that. I think it's kind of cool. If you take this one small step further in the beta, though, it gets interesting. And that is, is that the replacement um, um, emoji uh, feature in iOS 10, right? So I tried it before we got on and, I, you know, I typed something about uh, guns and and did tomatoes as a, as a test to like, and then went to see the replacement for that. And Apple replaced the word guns with a bicep on an arm curling. <laughs> and I, was, I thought that was very interesting as well. So yes, it's tiny little political statements from a company that, that has something to say. And I think that's cool. Um, I think they also don't want a screen grab on an iPhone to, to have a horrible message, um, with a, an icon of a gun. Um, um, reinforcing that uh, anytime soon on the news. So um, yes, it's a statement. Yes, I'm okay with it. And um, it gets interesting when messages in the future might be carrying messages that aren't so innocent. Man, this is a thorny issue. And and I'm kind of with Jason that ultimately, whichever way they decided, it doesn't really bother me that much. I guess I don't feel like the semantic meaning gets lost quite as much. I can see cases where that might come up if it if the water pistol thing gets so dissociated from the idea of a gun that that is, you know, could be misconstrued on other platforms. But, you know, I can't help but think back to my childhood where my mom didn't even like us running around with squirt guns or toy guns because they just looked too much like it was just part of the, the culture. And I think, you know, I still get you know you look at it it's clearly a gun it may be a green you know neon one that shoots water but there's no question to my mind what it is and so i guess it doesn't bother me that much i understand the argument that from a semantic perspective it could be misconstrued but i still feel like the the inherent basic meaning is still ba- is still essentially there um there's some discussion about whether what if they had just taken out the gun emoji like well maybe they could have you know hidden it as an input and it still received it and displayed it um but just prevented people from typing it i think the people really would have gotten angry about that too um so in the end is this I, I don't know i can't bring myself to feel like this is a huge deal uh i like andrew i, I kind of do like that there are people back there who have their opinions and they want those opinions to be known and some people are going to disagree with that and that's fine um and there might be the possibility for misconstrued, but there there are already emoji that are interpreted different on different platforms. So, you know, I, I feel like it's going to happen no matter what. I assume this will all blow over eventually. I guess I like to be a little bit of an optimist here and just kind of feel like, you know, if there's one less place that it's, you know, okay to, to see a gun, then maybe, you know, it'll, you know, kind of <laughs> maybe have like the tiniest, tiniest, tiniest little effect on our, on our, you know, violent centric culture. Um, but then, and then on the other hand, um, I grew up with, with super soakers. And so I, I'm kind of just glad that there is a water gun icon on there now, because I'll use that a lot more than I would have used the the pistol icon before. Your life is complete. It is complete. <laughs> All right. Uh, we are done with four topics, but we have a little bonus topic left to go as we always do. The bonus topic this week has a sponsor. Yay. It's brought to you by hover. 
when you have a great idea for your project, your blog, your store, whatever, you need to give it a good domain name. Uh, and uh, pr- finding a perfect domain name is ridiculously easy with Hover. It's how I found all of my domain names. It's easy to find the perfect name for your idea. Uh, Hover has over 400 domain extensions to end your domain with. All the classics, your .coms, your .nets, uh, special niche extensions like .design and .tech. And of course, if you want quirky extensions like .pizza, dot ninja and dot horse so clockwise dot pizza watch out for it uh once you find your domain you use hover connect to set up your domain automatically with your website in just a few clicks you don't have to dig through help articles to figure out how to get your domain working find the perfect domain name for your idea go to hover.com and use the promo code left at checkout to save ten dollars off your first purchase thank you so much to hover for your support of clockwise and of relay fm all right, here is our bonus topic. Uh, very quickly, Pokemon Go, it's still out there. Uh, and I'm curious, are you still playing it? And if if you are playing it, what level are you? I am not, but both my kids are. Um, I have three kids and my 16-year-old is at uh, level 11. I- I'm happy to report. Ooh. I get great pleasure watching them play it. Uh, I launched it maybe three times. Uh, I'm really far behind, but I did talk to a friend of mine on last night, and he said his goal is only his only goal is to collect all of the Pokemon, which he knows he'll never do. My boyfriend downloaded it, so we played it on his phone, and we are um, level one or two. I only <laughs> played it enough to just kind of get a sense of what it was like, and. I have to, I don't have enough time to play. <laughs> All right. Well, then I will make it like like Andrew's son. I am playing it and I am level 11. So there got le- got nice. the level 11 last night. So there in your face, <laughs> nobody. Um, okay. And that's it. We're done. We have uh, we have discharged our duties on this edition of Clockwise. All that's left is to thank our guests. Andrew Green, thank you so much for being a first timer. You survived it. Uh, thanks for being here. Very cool. Thank you so much for having me. Christina Bonington, thank you so much for returning, and we uh, hope to see you back soon. Yeah, thank you, guys. And uh, Dan, you're going to be on vacation, so I'm going to have to get a guest host next week. So have a good uh, have a good week off. Hey, thanks. Good luck finding someone to fill these shoes. Yeah, it's They're not going to be easy. And until I do that, <laughs> I'm just going to remind everybody out there, watch what you say. And keep watching the clock. Bye, everybody. Bye.